Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. This is Dan Jurgen. This is Jason J. Lewis, the voice of Superman on Justice League Action. This is Mark Wayne, writer of Superman Birthright, and you're listening to The Krypton Report. Welcome to the Krypton Report, the All Things Kryptonian podcast, where we talk about anything relating to Superman, Supergirl, Krypton, DC Comics, and TV, movies, video games, comics. I am your host, Tyler, the Superman of Blue, the Man of Tomorrow. Welcome to this special episode of the Krypton Report. This is Tyler, your host, and with me today is legendary Superman fan podcaster. This man means no introduction, Mr. Michael Bailey. Welcome, Michael. <laughs> I, I don't know if legendary is exactly the word to use but i appreciate that thank Monu- you monumental <laughs> um i have let's see first of all i want to say like i'm it's awesome to chat with you i have listened to i really enjoy um it all comes back to superman uh i know like you haven't put one out in a while this is fine but i just really enjoyed the point of that podcast and the way you were doing, especially when you did your episode kind of like breaking down what Superman meant, uh, referring to the Doomsday Clock mm-hmm. uh, book. I thought that was very, very important. Um, and you had some great valid points. And it was one of those podcasts where I'm listening and I'm like, oh, yes, yeah, joining in, you know, like I want to dive in and join the conversation. And so it, I was like, man, it'd be fun to finally get a chance to sit down and kind of talk. So recently you were part of Dragon Con mm-hmm. with our with our friend Rebecca from Supergirl Radio. And man, if there's ever been a discussion that I wish I had been part of, <laughs> that like Battle Royale Superman discussion was phenomenal. I have I recommend that to any super fan, period, to check out. Cause the panel of people was amazing. The points everyone was making were just awesome. And that was some great great content created yeah it was a lot of fun uh, mainly because you had four different viewpoints uh, though me and one of the other guys ended up agreeing a lot more uh, and being on the same page uh, but you know you had you had like Christopher Reeve fans you had you know, Tyler Hecklin fans you had Rebecca so obviously Henry Cavill fans were well represented there and I was uh, I was really pleased with how that turned out. Uh, but that's kind of dragon con at its best. Mm-hmm. It's just a kind of a fun conversation and the audience got in on it, uh, which is also important to dragon con. Uh, the best fan panels at dragon con are the ones where the audience is uh, part of it, part of the conversation. So uh, yeah, that was, <laughs> that was, uh, that was my first panel with that particular track. Uh, so it was kind of nice to have like a, a first one that went so well. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, I I talked to Rebecca not too long ago, and I was like, you know, some of the points that she made about how she views the Christopher Reeve movies, I was like, I can see those. Those are valid. I understand where you're coming from. Well, that's kind of the thing um, that especially in the last couple of years I've just kind of come to believe is that the idea 
of, of trying to argue the supremacy of a, of a certain version of Superman is kind of a faulty argument to make. It is. Because not everybody's going to have the same opinions. Rebecca and I are very good examples of two people who have very, very different opinions on Superman in general and particular versions of Superman specifically. And you, you can have that conversation and kind of part as friends uh, and have a good relationship instead of just trying to sit there and beat everyone down with why your particular favored version of Superman is the best. Uh, and I just, I was, there was a part of me that was afraid that was going to happen because sometimes, and, and social media has kind of ruined it. <laughs> <laughs> to a large extent. Uh, but uh, I was glad that it turned out, like you said, as, as just like this really nice conversation where we were arguing specific points. Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, I grew up on the Christopher Reeve films, but that doesn't mean that I cannot look at them uh, with a critical eye and kind of see, well, maybe the Cavill version has this over that, uh, you know, and, and personally, as I said on the panel, uh, the, the weirdest thing about Superman and Lois and Tyler Hecklin as Superman is that for the first time in my Superman fandom, the, the, the closest version to the Superman that lives in my head is now like made form or given form. So, uh, yeah, I, I just uh, I had a lot of fun. And uh, if you watch the video, there is a guy in a Superman costume on the panel, which was amazing. You know, you mentioned the Tyler Hecklin version, and we'll get into some questions later. Um, what I told my wife is, like, I feel like with him, when they were crafting the show, he is like, for lack of a better term, greatest hits Superman. They looked at all the different incarnations and was like, what worked here? What did it? What did we like here? And they were able to bring out things from the different versions into one version. Yeah, you know? and and I think um, <coughs> excuse me, you know, it, it it has the benefit of being you know at the like the eighty year mark. So, uh, and, and you have all of these different you know film and animated versions of the character to kind of draw from. But I think it, in addition to doing all of that, it also because of that blending and because of the the atmosphere of the show, it ends up standing on its own as well. Uh, you know, you never had in live action for an extended period of time a married Superman with kids. So this, uh, so there are like nods. I mean, during the pilot, there were like 15 billion Easter eggs hidden in there. But he still kind of stands on his own as this different version of Superman that has to exist in a world where, you know, he's not a metropolis anymore, mm -hmm. you know, he's, he, but he still has to be a Superman of the world. And I think they did a really good job on the series kind of showing him, not just saving people in the city. You know, he went to other, uh, he went to other countries and it was really kind of neat to see him as a, as a hero to the world instead of just a hero to this one corner of this one city. Yep. And I, I agree with that completely. Um, <clears throat> you know, I've often said the, 
the thing was, <coughs> excuse me, I'm getting over being sick. Um, I often said, like, with Superman Returns, they were trying to make this love letter to the Reeves film. And then Man of Steel was so much the antithesis of that. Like, okay, they did this over here. We're going to do opposite over here. That it was just this huge polar difference. And luckily we have with Superman Lois like this. We're bringing it down, guys. <laughs> we're bringing it down. Yeah. yeah, and 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 that's it's kind of funny too because when you look at like the kind of the evolution of Superman in the media in the 21st century, especially, you know, it, it took five years for them to get that movie to, to get Superman Returns together, uh, and I have vivid memories of like starting my day going to the Superman homepage and trying to see what the latest rumor. Uh, or news piece and you know like is mcgee directing it jj mm-hmm. abrams script well that's not being done now it's gonna be a superman batman film and <laughs> you know when they finally settled on superman returns i was like good we we, we finally have a direction to go in and all of the iconography all of the music everything you know was like as you said was going back to uh Especially the Richard Dice. I'm pedantic, and I realize this. Uh, when people say that Superman Returns is the re, uh, the Christopher Reeve Superman, it is, but it's more of like the Christopher Reeve as directed by Richard Donner Superman, <laughs> which was only one of the films. Yeah. Which, again, you can get into uh, like nerd nitpicking over that, but I, yes. I think what that film kind of proved to me is that as, as, as much as I looked forward to it and as disappointed I was in a lot of it when it came out, which was kind of a heartbreaking because leading up to 2006 in June, I was like all in. And then I walked out of the theater and I'm like, God, that, that wasn't what I was wanting. And I think what <laughs> ultimately the lesson from that is, is that you can't go home again, mm-hmm. but as usual, and this is nothing against Man of Steel, which I think is a is an interesting take on Superman. It's a movie that actually has gotten better uh, to me. Uh, I still have problems with parts of it, but the studio's reaction to that was, well, let's do like a 180 degrees. Well, if this Superman isn't going to do hardly do anything physical except lift a rock in the air and save some people this Superman is going to be like uber physical in just about everything he does. And Hecklin is kind of the happy medium between the two where you get to have, you get to have the kind of more traditional take on Superman, but it's still a modern look at the character. You know, it's interesting. You said how you came out of the theater. Superman returns is one of those movies. I was just so happy to have it to be in the theater and like the time of my life when it came out that I knew there were some issues, but I didn't think too much of it. I was just so excited. I think it wasn't until I got it on home video and I was watching that. I started thinking, okay, there's some problems. But I, I, I think I saw it though four times in the theater because I went and saw it twice in IMAX 3d. And that was when they were just doing the 3d where certain scenes were in 3d. So it made it that much better. You'd be watching the film and then it would like flash, put on your glasses. So it was, of course, the airplane scene was in 3D. 
and it was just like, oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, it kind of hit me later, like, wait a minute. They're going to wait. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, me, and, me and my buddy Shag, who's part of the Fire and Water uh, podcasting network, uh, he, he has a great term for that, and that's a geek hangover. Um, where you kind of wake up the next morning and then you realize that there are problems, uh, problems that weren't there the night before because you were having such a good time. I was kind of surprised I had those feelings in the theater because I remember sitting, I remember I actually took the day off work. (laughs) I requested the day off work almost under, I almost did it like under religious reasons, but I decided (laughs) that that might've been too cute. And Right before, like a week or two before Superman Returns came out, uh, Warner Home Media released like 15 Superman box sets. Yep. Uh, It was like the third season of Lois and Clark, the first season of the Superboy series, uh, one of the Adventures of Superman seasons. And 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 I literally bought all of them, and they all came with free tickets. So just about everybody that went with us to see the movie did not have to pay for the movie. And I'm in the theater, and you have, like, the, the opening bit with the Krypton, and you see the explosion of uh, the destruction of Krypton, which I thought was one of the most visually stunning versions of, of that part of Superman's history on screen. I agree. And everything's kind of going along fine, and I think my first hiccup was you see him coming out of the bar, the Williams theme kicks up, and I'm like, oh, yeah. And he runs down the street. And this is one of those times where following the production of something kind of ruin, like doesn't ruin the movie for you, or but it, it kind of it kind of takes you out of the film. Because I remember seeing and hearing that when he runs down the street and opens up his shirt, there wasn't supposed to be anything underneath. And then he goes back to the Daily Planet building where his suit is in the suitcase and sneaks out, which is probably looks great on paper, but when they thought of the logistics and how that would bring that scene to a screeching halt, yeah, <laughs> that probably wouldn't work out. But that little half-hearted shirt rip, I'm like, eh, that's not what I was... That's not what I was expecting. I, you know, I was expecting. I mean, this is this is the first time Clark Kent's changing into Superman, you know, on screen since 1987, and you know, this is 19 years later, and this, you know, it's like a you shaved your legs for this. I mean, it's just, <laughs> and as the movie went on, I'm just like, you know, this. I don't know if any of this, like the story itself, I think is the problem of the film. Uh, a, a, yeah. a, one of my other co-hosts who we do the Overlook Dark Knight I do the Overlook Dark Knight with Andy and I were talking about it at one point and we realized that you know Superman Returns and Spider-Man 3 both came out a year apart uh, and both have similar story problems but the difference to us is that Superman Returns' story problems aren't really fixable you can't do a, a, a tweak here or an edit there, and suddenly it's it's a better movie. It just had so many problems, and it's so disappointing that that's what they let off with. You know, Superman, mm-hmm. just in general, tends to sometimes not get the best foot forward from Warner Brothers. 
so that this was, you know, like the year before you had Batman Begins and right. man, that, that right. thing just popped and that, everyone was excited. That is what boggles my mind. Like, I was going to say that. It's like, it boggles my mind that in 05, we have Batman Begins, this complete redesign, relook at the character, breaking it down, um, modernization. And then the next year is Superman. And it's like, we just went back and tried to do what they did in the 70s. And uh, it's, it's nothing against, well, most of the people that were responsible <laughs> for the film. Um, you know, and when you look at the, the, like I said, the history of the production and, and, you know, going all the way back to the nineties when John Peters, uh, first optioned, uh, the Superman character and the different versions of, of like Superman lives as it was called that, that were put into pre-production and there's a great documentary, uh, called oh, yeah. whatever happened to the death of Superman that I highly recommend. Oh, I, I, I love that. I actually, side story, I got to meet John Schnepp shortly before his passing. Oh, good. I'm glad. Cause he's, and, I could, and what was weird was from everyone who I had ever, who had said they met him and seeing him, he was always more fun loving. And when I met him, he was so quiet and so kind of out of it. It gave me a sense that something was off, you know? Because mm-hmm. um, I really would have liked to have got to <clears throat> talk to him more and engage, and but you could tell like something just fell off, and then like I want to say a month or two later was his passing, and um, I was like, wow. So that's what he was battling and going through. Yeah, Steve uh, Eunice and I got to interview him when we were doing Radio KAO Live, the, the radio version of it. You used to uh, listen to that. Uh, we had him on twice, and. Uh, yeah, just a really, really nice guy. Like, just super approachable, uh, really funny. Uh, boy, did he not like any of the Fantastic Four films. That came out. <laughs> uh, but you know when, but it's kind of funny that when you, you you were you were before you mentioned like Superman fandom in general, it was really kind of weird to watch uh, from like the from the early 2000s until like 2013 you had this like weird schism you had like the smallville fans and there were like the chris reeve fans uh, and the comic book fans never really made much of an imprint in, in, in on the culture on the internet uh it, it's kind of funny when when i think about it that it's it's always like one of the media versions that seems to like lead a fan group online and the Smallville fans and the traditional Superman fans did not get along. Hmm. There was arguing in message boards, which sounds so petty and it was, but it, you know, you look today, it seems kind of quaint. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's not like you you went to a me- like like it's not like everybody was on the message board. It's the thing right. I always say that the difference between early two thousands internet culture and uh, uh, especially when it comes to superhero characters and now is that back then you had to find a site, you had to create an account, you had to log in, and you had to kind of keep up with it. Whereas now 
it's all on the public square and you're just kind of scrolling through, you know, dream scrolling through Twitter or through Facebook, but mostly Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now everyone's part of the conversation and it just, it just makes everything a little more complicated, sometimes more negative, sometimes more positive. But, uh, but I remember that shift right around the time of 2013 when man of steel came out and this whole new group of fans emerged and the old fans just pounded them. It, it was really like, like I literally the weekend man of steel came out. I had a, I had a friend visit so we could go see it. And I'm watching the Saturday after the Saturday of the weekend, it came out and I'm watching these meltdowns happening online where people are just losing their minds and getting into arguments and just tearing into each other. And I'm just like, y'all, everybody needs to kind of calm down. And then you got to get caught up in it. But I remember being really on the side of the Man of Steel people, mainly because I think everybody was being really unfair to them. I mean, yeah. And it's it's weird because you're talking about just fandom and you're like they put it's like there's pockets you know like you have your movie version your tv version and i mean it it still baffles me that superman itself has been more successful as a tv character compared to like a theatrical character you know i feel like just the stories in general batman leans better to being a tv character but we've never had a batman television series since 66 compared to Superman, who's had the Adventures of Superman, Superboy, if you want to count it, Smallville, Lois and Clark, and now Superman and Lois. It's just, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, and and I think, I'm wondering if that's because Superman benefits from long-form storytelling uh, more than more than a than a movie version because I remember I keep saying I remember uh, <laughs> when Man of Steel was coming out and Jimmy Olsen wasn't a part of it and then there was that five minutes where they thought it was going to be Jenny Olsen mm-hmm. because of one of the production like the making of books that came out and there was like a kerfuffle over that but they're like Jimmy Olsen's not going to be in it and I remember thinking at the time I go well, well, you don't really need it. And, you know, like, you know, to, to quote Michael Shannon, that film, heresy. <laughs> uh, but, but to me, when you're, when, you're, when you're talking about a movie where you have two and a half to three to sometimes four hours to tell a story, <laughs> you don't have a lot of real estate to take up with side characters. You've really got to, unless they're really integral to the plot. And when you look at the Chris Reeve films, Mark McClure played, super, uh, played Jimmy Olsen in all four of the films and in Supergirl. Yep. And in the first movie, he was given a lot to do. And that kind of diminished as the movies went on. It was just like he was there because he needed to be there. But there are points in all of those films where if you had removed Jimmy completely, not that I wanted them to, but if you remove Jimmy completely from the movie, it doesn't really affect the movie all that much. Yeah. Uh, whereas with a television series, you need side characters because you need 
people for the character to bounce off of. And this is why Jack Larson on the 50 series and uh, both Michael Landis and the, the second guy whose name Justin Whelan. Justin Whelan. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and even uh, Aaron Ashmore on Smallville, you know, you could, you could bring those characters in because it's, it creates more of a shit like a, a, mm-hmm. with continued stories because you can do more with them. Now, to be fair, in Lois and Clark, Jimmy mainly served to deliver exposition. <laughs> uh, every once in a while, a plot would like revolve around him, but he was mainly the guy that came in to say, Hey, CK, Hey, Lois, here's this bit of information you asked me to look up. Yep. Uh, but you like that because it's part of the show. And, you know, it, 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 it's funny when you look at the differences between Superman and Batman, especially Batman really benefits from a movie is because most of his side characters are law enforcement or it's Alfred and they, or Leslie Tompkins, if you want to throw mm-hmm. her into a film. So they serve as a function of the plot. Like when you look at the, the Nolan trilogy, Commissioner Gordon is a huge driver of all three of those movies. So you kind of need him in there. But you don't need Vicki Vale in every film. You don't need Julie Madison. You don't, you don't need Chandra Consolving. As, you know, it's just like you could use them for a movie, but they don't need to be in every movie. It's true. Where, whereas Superman... The thing about Superman... Uh, in in talking with what we're discussing is that because of how the character evolved over the decades, he there was really no incentive on the part of DC Comics and their owners to change the formula all that much. You know, you had the the radio show which was on for the entirety of the 1940s. Uh, into the early 50s. And then you had the George Reeves series, which lasted six seasons and was in heavy syndication. So mm-hmm. all through the 60s and 70s, and even into the 80s to a certain extent, you had TV stations all across the United States and the world playing that version of Superman. And then... Into the 70s, you have the Super Friends on television, which were in, but on both Saturday morning and then stripped to be in syndication uh, during the weekdays. <coughs> My turn to cough. <laughs> uh, and then you had the Christopher Reeve films, which were cultural, which was a cultural phenomenon. But they all fall, they all followed like this kind of single, like formula. They they <laughs> changed and evolved for the audiences of the time but they didn't uh but but it didn't really alter much about the character whereas batman is constantly evolving because that character through the 50s and 60s and even to the 70s and 80s up until like 1986 was not dc's most popular character which is kind of fascinating to think now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I like what you, you pointed that out in your Dragon Con conversation when people brought up something that I'd always <clears throat> stated before is like, you know, we changed the bat suit in film. 
and no one really lost their mind. But when they changed the Superman suit, people went crazy. And I really liked your explanation on where and how Batman was perceived at the time, right before the Tim Burton uh, film, which we got our first solid black, you know, muscular Batsuit, which has become like the staple tentpole idea going forward now for these for suits that people didn't care as much. No, no. I mean, I'm I'm sure I was not invested in fandom at the time. I was 13 the summer that that movie came out, and my entire perception of what the world of comic books was was Comic Scene magazine. Uh, I wasn't even really going to a shop on a regular basis. I was getting all of my books from the newsstand, uh, which at the time, if you missed an issue, it just ceased to exist on planet mm-hmm. Earth. You were never going to find it. You might as well just give up. And while I am sure, and I know from talking to people that there were people that had like little problems with the costume, culturally, everyone just went, ah, yes! You know, when the yeah. Batman movie came out. It was not... It was not like when people actually have conversations about the trunks with Superman, uh, which is something we touched on in the panel. Which is one of my questions for you, because I feel like that is the question. If you want to divide Superman fans, you throw (laughs) that out there and see if they kill each other. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's almost like a dark night. You know, you break a stick in half and throw it on the ground, you know, and, and, and have them fight it out. But the, uh, but Batman, just because, just to keep relevant, has to keep changing, which is why you can have in, like, from, like, 2008 to 2016, you know, you had the Nolan Batman at the same time that you had the Brave and the Bold Batman existing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you had fans of each and you had some people that liked both of them. And then you had the people that were firmly in those camps uh, because of one reason or another, but he's kind of malleable where Superman really, because of the, I won't call it uh, static, because there is a huge difference between Christopher Reeve, Dean Cain, and Tom Welling. But all of those versions managed to be of their time, and especially Smallville with the soundtrack of the show. <laughs> uh, going back and listening to that, it's just like oh, yeah. flashbacks to the early 2000s. Oh, but, I mean, I was in high school with Clark. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, man, this must jam. You know, I was like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. But that Clark red kryptonite to the side and, and, and certain storylines to the side was always kind of a straight ahead. I've got to do the right thing. I've got to, I want to live a normal life, but I can't help myself. I have to use my powers to help people because that's the premise of the show. And Dean Kane's Superman was more of a Clark Kent character, but that was a super, he, he was, you know, he was Superman in what you traditionally think of as Superman. Now he was billed as a sexier Superman and man, when that show came out, I was a senior in high school when that premiered and the, the advertising around that was all about how good looking the stars were. I just remember Uh, the, the, like the, 
him in the white tank top with like mm-hmm. flexing the muscle with the Superman tattoo and Terry Hatcher's like just wearing the cape kind of thing. Yeah, it was, and and you had ads uh, uh, before the show of like Lois talking about meeting Superman, and it's all very romantic. And I remember one of my friends in high school; she was sitting behind me. And we were nearing the end of the year, uh, and she saw me in study hall reading a a comic, and she's like, "Oh, do you watch Lois and Clark?" I'm like, "Yeah." I go, "Do you?" She goes, "Yeah." I go, "Why?" And I look at her, go, "It's because Dean Cain isn't," and she just kind of smiled and nodded her head. I'm like, whatever. But the funny thing is, brief tangent, is about that show um, in terms of creating a a new Superman fans is my best friend in high school. I found out later his mother was a Superman fan when she was a kid. That's awesome. uh, and, we, and we had conversations about it, uh, several, not many. But when I went to visit home like my hometown back in 2001 and and was hanging out with my friend ben and we went over to his mom's house like her house was just covered in superman stuff and what happened is after her husband passed she kind of sank into a a bit of a depression but she found lois and clark through tnt when it was rerunning it and that place and that became her her thing she went to convention she she showed me pictures and it was just it was just like one of those things where as many problems as I have with that show, I can never really hate I can never really hate any version of, of Superman, just to be honest. But like if if that brought like this new audience to the character and Smallville brings a new audience to the character, and if you know, Man of Steel brings a new audience to the character, you know, you just gotta kinda accept that. Uh, you know, the, the trick is, you know, having people kind of get along about it, but yeah. yeah, but, but when you look at it up until Man of Steel and even Man of Steel to a large extent, uh, I would argue they, they swerved, but there still is a sense in the movie that, especially that what we're seeing is, have you seen the movie Unbreakable? With with yeah. Bruce Willis, yeah. Okay. So that when that movie came out, it was kind of a, a revelation because comic book films were still not a huge thing, uh, or especially with what they became. There there was a time before that, yeah. people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we, we get like one a year, and they'd be like, "Yeah, this year." Now we're like this month, especially Marvel now that they're trying to catch up. But M. Night Shyamalan described that movie as the first act of your standard superhero film, where you're seeing just the origin up until they put on the costume for the first time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that perception of it is what has really ruled most of DC's uh, thinking in their films is that with the first film, we're not going to go whole hog into the movie, into the world of the character. So Man of Steel is basically the first act of a Superman origin uh, in, in that we're now at, at the at the end of that film is where we're more traditionally where Superman is, where he's working at the Daily Planet, he's Clark Kent, he's wearing glasses, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I think 
that threw a lot of people because they, for the first time, decided we're going to go into this new direction. And people are still fighting about it. What? Nine years later? Yeah, nine nine years later. I mean, it's almost nine years. I mean, eight years, but whatever. It's almost nine years. No, you're I mean, you're right, because if you were to put that, say, into Superman, the movie, Man of Steel would be his first night out. Mm -hmm. And then, but, so that's a really good way of looking at it with the M. Night Shyamalan quote. Because it's been a, I watched Unbreakable. Uh, Last time I watched it was right after we saw, um, not Glass, but Split. Was it it Split? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Once you found that it tied in and everything, and I was like, oh, okay, we're going to rewatch this. So let's back up just a moment here. Okay. And just go, where does your Superman fandom begin? (laughs) Um, It it begins with the Super Friends and with Christopher Reeve. Um, I was a superhero fan before I was a a comic book reader. And being born in the mid-70s, it was at this, like, really great time to be a kid into the superheroes because they were suddenly everywhere. Uh, You had the Incredible Hulk television series. You had Spider-Man on TV. You had reruns of the Adam West show. And I always like to joke that my dark secret was I started out as a Batman fan. Batman was my favorite character up until I was 11 years old. And I stumbled across a couple of the burn uh, Superman issues. And before that, my entire perception of Superman in comics was this collection called Superman from the 30s to the 70s. And it was a book that, and this is probably going to shock people, it had Superman comics in it from the 30s to the 70s. And uh, so you had stuff from the Golden Age, you had stuff from the Silver Age, and it was published in 1971, so it was just at the start of the Bronze Age. And I liked them, but they didn't, like, grab me. But when I read the Byrne version of Superman... Uh, I would later, you know, years and years and decades later, come to realize that it was just that was the storytelling of the character that Mm -hmm. I was attracted to. But I got I went all in on the comics. I started collecting them. uh, That was in 1987. And then a year later, the exile story happened. And for those that are listening that aren't familiar with what that story was, Superman, because comics, ended up executing three Phantom Zone villains from a pocket universe, which is something that only makes sense, really, when you're talking about comic books. Yeah. Uh, and You can't tell that when your wife's like, why didn't you clean the house? Yeah. Well, it's just, it's the just, pocket universe just kind of collapsed, and I, <laughs> I got held up in that, and, you know, then an alternate me came out. I mean, it was, you know, we just had too much going on. So he had a mental breakdown, which involved him taking on uh, like basically sleepwalking and taking on the identity of this character named Gangbuster. And he decides I'm going to, I, I am a danger to everybody around me. So I'm just going to leave planet earth. And that was the moment that, that lead up to that. And when exile started, that's when getting the Superman books went from something that I'm going to try to do to this is non-negotiable. I have got it. These are my stories. I've got to keep following it. And that was 
uh, up until like 1994, the Superman books were the main ones that I read. I would pick up other things. Like when Batman came out in 89, everybody was reading Batman. I mean, it was just, <laughs> just something you did. And I got really into the Flash when that uh, the John Wesley Ship series happened. See, I, rem- I remember that because that was like the first the new like comic book um, show movie that I was old enough to like be a part of when it was on. You know, um, it, um, I was a little too young, like for '89, to really enjoy the hype. And then, of course, this Christopher Reeve stuff had come and passed pretty much because. Um, so when the Wesley ship came out, I was like watching it and I was excited about it. I had, <coughs> I had this muscle shirt that was too big, but it was a, it said the flash. It was the John Wesley. And it was like puffy, like it was raised and puffy. And, um, we got it at Kmart. It was a man's shirt, but it was the only thing my mom found of like the flash. <laughs> so I ha- I wear that, you know, and. So I was, you know, I was like really into the flash right then because that was the thing. And it was just kind of new and exciting for once to actually be a part of it instead of it being already happened, you know. But over just over the next 30 or so years, I um, just got deeper and deeper into the character and started reading older uh, comics from before the crisis and watching the George Reeves series, which uh, I, I had to come to like that. That wasn't an instantaneous thing with me. Uh, and in the late 90s, they started releasing CDs of the radio show. Mm-hmm. So I got caught up in that. Now you can get just about everything that's available over on archives.org. Uh, and it was just, it became my thing. Uh, it was, you know, like I liked other characters. I'm into other comics or I was into other comics. But Superman was always my main thing. And what I found is is that when you're a Superman fan, especially in the 90s and into the early 2000s, and if you're going to a comic shop, there's only like two or three of you that are really into it. Like there's people reading it because they're selling copies, but there's only like two or three like big Superman fans. Uh, and that kind of changed when I finally got on the internet because, again – this might be anathema to people, but there was a point where you had to decide to get on the internet. <laughs> was, you're like, I'm going to go upstairs. Nobody pick up the phone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then you're sitting there on chat. Like, yeah. And then you hear, hello. And you're like, mom, get off the phone. And, and it's kind of funny because when I thought I had found my people, it was also when I discovered that there were people that didn't like, the version of Superman that I like. Yep. And it was my first exposure to like, wait, people had a problem with the burn revamp. I thought everybody was just kind of cool with it. Yep. Uh, and I'd like to say it got better from there. Uh, it certainly got more interesting. On the other hand, I found a whole bunch of friends through that fandom. Uh, you know, starting on the, the early days when it was, you know, like the DC message boards and the Superman homepage, uh, uh, going, going into when Facebook and uh, I only recently really got into Twitter, like about four or five years ago, which may sound weird, uh, but Twitter was just, it, it was just like, it's only 140 characters. I, I can't deal with that, but <laughs> I, uh, I tried I've Twitter. Adapted. 
I tried Twitter when, my, when it first came out. My friend told me about it back when you just got text messages. You didn't have a Twitter app on your phone. Mm-hmm. You'd sign up and just get a text message. So when someone would tweet, it would ding your phone like a text message. And I was like, okay. And then I kind of like, you know, it was like, I'm, I'm done. And then the app came. So it was a little bit easier to like manage then, you know, makes it sound old. <laughs> like I'm, I'm I, tell people, at this point. I tell people, like, I signed up for Facebook in 2004, back when it was only for college kids, mm-hmm. you know, and I had my Facebook then when I was like, oh, it's this thing we have at school. Oh, okay. And then all of a sudden it became, everybody has it. And you're like, well, it's not so cool. Yeah, it's funny. It was like around 2007, I think. Sounds about right. 2007 or 2008, I I was in the break room and one of the associates where I was working, it was a kid in school. And I'm like, what are you on? He's like, it's called Facebook. It's for college students. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I remember when it became available to everybody. uh, It was just like, it was like kind of a revelation. Um, I don't know uh, if it's ultimately good or bad, I guess. It's kind of like you you said about like the fandom is you meet people, you're excited. You want to share your love for this character and you find out there's people that hate things. Like mm-hmm. I don't hate anything about Superman. There's parts that I'm like, I'm not a much of a fan, but if you tell me, Oh, I love this story. Cool. Like that's fine. You know, like, I'm not going to hate on it or like, that's stupid. You know, I mean, we all have certain aspects and, you know, in the, some ways, like I say, like everyone has their favorite or like their Superman when they were little mm-hmm. and it doesn't even have to be the first one they were exposed to. You know, I, I think about, you know, of course the Chris Reeves movies were out when I was a child and I had them taped off TV and I, I, I can't tell if I had number one and two, because I felt like there was just one big blur on a VHS tape. But as a child, my Superman more was Dean Kane, because that was the one that was happening as I was a kid, you know? And then for my kids, I feel like their Superman is going to be Tyler, even though they've watched the other stuff with me and been around it. But since now they're four and six and we always watch Superman and Lois as a family. And I feel like when they look back years later it, who their Superman kind of was coming up, that's who they're going to pinpoint, even though it wasn't the first one that they saw. So everyone has their, the, what they connect to. Um, and that's not good or bad. Like, it's just, that's what it is. That's why the character exists is if it was all the same and it never changed or did anything differently, there wouldn't be a room full of books right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, that's really cool. I love hearing about where people come from, like where they were brought into the character and like their journey uh, with it. You know, it's like we all have similar little, you know, uh, points with the whole, you know, Chris's films has kind of defined everyone probably until more about, like I said, my kid's age where there's more that's happened. Um, so here's here's some more questions for you. Okay. What is your favorite version of Superman? Now, that can be comic, TV, uh, animated. What is, like, when you, like, what is, what's the one you could point to, like, that's the one that I really love? 
the, the one that that was in the comics from like 1988 to about 1996. Uh, I mean, I stuck with the comics long after that. There's, <laughs> there's runs both before and after that time period, uh, but that's really what I would call my butter zone. Um, that where everything about it was just working for me. Mm. Uh, you know, the creators on the books, the way the characters were going, the art, the direction. I mean, that's that's right around. You know, that's the lead up to the death of the aftermath and all that. And then right up to when they get married uh, is just, uh, that's my jam. All right. Favorite Superman movie. Same thing. Film, including animated films as well. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> you know, I've been asked this question before and I never know how to answer it. Um, well, I just threw this out there. Like I, when, when I was asked this question and I said, my favorite actually became the death of Superman, the 2018 version. Cause I really thought that was a really well done way of telling that story. But I really liked Superman's portrayal in that film. Even though the other characters were in it, I felt like it was a really strong Superman film all around. And of course I always say also that I hate that it seems like any Superman story that's important has to be his death, which is ironic because it ends up being my favorite um, film, but that was, that's my favorite, you know, um, it just, I think it's a great, great film for his character. If, if we're really going to go favorite, I'm going to go with Superman two, uh, mainly because that was the one when I was a kid that I liked watching more. Of course. Uh, and it just it just had more going on with it. It was I think I actually saw two before I saw the first one. If I remember correctly, no, no, that's not that's not right. That's I don't know. I, like I said, um, I don't know if I did because I just remember when I was older and I actually sat down and bought them at that time that they were came out in 06 Where I sat down, I went to Walmart one night after work and they had the whole display out. I bought Superman one, two, three, four on DVD. Uh, Lois and Clark, <laughs> Superboy. <coughs> I was like, I'm going to go home and watch all this, you know? And that's when I really could tell, like, what number one was and what number two was. And I thought back, like, I'm not sure which one I saw first because in my brain, I had remembered all as one movie. No, I was um, like, I, it, it was it was definitely one because I saw that. It's weird how my memory works. I was five. We were visiting my grandparents. I got the chicken pox. Uh, and they had HBO. Memory. They had HBO, and I remember watching, they taped it off of there, because that's what my grandfather did. He taped movies like crazy. And then uh, two years two years later, when it came to, when Superman 2 came to HBO, I remember waking up, and we would get this this TV guide in the ma- uh, with, like, the Sunday paper. Yes. And my parents put it on my bed, so when I woke up, there was uh, the the one for that month, and that was when Superman 2 was coming to HBO. So Superman was on the cover. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, just, if we're going favorite, uh, Superman 2. Yeah. I mean, it's not, like, the best. Like, you know, it's like someone asked me, what's your favorite Batman? My favorite Batman's for Batman Forever because I have a lot of great memories as a child with that movie. Now, if someone said, what's the best Batman movie? I would argue Batman Begins, you know? just to kind of shift it a little bit there in the conversation. Um, but, you know, what's funny is I'll tell you this, this might blow your mind, but you know what Superman movie I've seen the most? Which one? Four. You know why? 
dude, I swear to God, every time I visited my grandparents, either set, it was on cable. Like, or standard TV. Like, in the afternoon, I just felt like it was always running on TV somewhere in the background. I just remember playing in my grandparents' basement with that movie on in the background. <laughs> it yeah, must have been like... four was in pretty heavy rotation on, in syndication. Exactly. being on a lot. And that's why I told people, I was like, you know, because... I remember wanting to rent Superman 3, but the video store by my house until Blockbuster came in had the box sitting there, but the VHS tape was long gone. <laughs> they never took down the empty box. It just sat there, and I didn't realize it. And, I, you know, I just go, and it's not there, and I'd go back. It's not there. And uh, The things you, you know, why didn't I ever just go and ask the guy, like, hey, where is this? But, you know, as a child. So who's your favorite Clark Kent? Um, it is a dead tie between George Reeves and Tyler Hecklin. Um, I cannot choose between the two, uh, especially first season, George Reeves, Mm -hmm. Uh, his Clark Kent, um, runner up is from the radio show, uh, because the Clark Kent of the radio show was a very vibrant character, um, the radio show is just amusing in general. I've, uh, it's the most dysfunctional Daily Planet work split, workplace ever because no one ever believes anybody. Like <laughs> someone will just come in and say, this is going on. And they're like, well, that can't possibly happen. Even though you have just gone through like three years where weird stuff is happening all the time. This is the point. You, you, they just never believe each other. Yep. It's really funny. So, I mean, I, I love George's Clark. Um, I, I think it's such a, you know, I don't hate Chris's Clark. It works for that. But to me, if the point of Clark Kent is to blend in, Chris's Clark's going too far the other way, that he stands out way too much. Um, well, it's funny because his Clark really evolved over the four films. It does. Uh, there, there's a nice, and that's one thing I liked about Superman 4, because I actually really liked when it showed him as like Clark, adult Clark, back on the farm. Like he's wearing the, the the flannel with the vest, and he's looking at selling the farm. And you know, and we saw like there there's some lead scenes before and after of him there. And I felt like that was some really good development that he never got to to really dive into because a lot of that was cut in the film. Well, if you look at like two and three as well, like in two, Lois and Clark are actually friends. Like, there, there, there's a, a really nice conversation between the two. And then in the third one, because Lois has taken off the table, and you have Lana as the love interest, you really get to see him as Clark functioning in the real world away from his workplace where people like him, but he's also not given as much respect as some of the other people there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really those two movies really informed how I wanted to see Clark portrayed, which is why the burn comics were so pivotal. Cause finally I saw in the comics, what I wanted to see, what I thought I was seeing on the, on the big screen, basically. Uh, and since four came out in 87, it was all part of that same time period. So, uh, but yeah, I'll agree. I'll agree that, that, that his, the, the Clark in Superman, I'm a big defender of Superman four. Um, which separates me from the pack. I'm with you. <laughs> but uh, 
but yeah, no, it's definitely Reeves and Hecklin. Hecklin's Clark, especially in that first Supergirl episode, I thought they just nailed it right off. Yes. Like, like it was just perfect from word go. So it, I was just so happy. <laughs> like, this isn't one of my questions, but I'm going to throw this out there. The first shirt rip scene of Tyler's is probably my favorite shirt rip scene. It just had all the right elements of him, like, running down the the alley with, like, the ripping off of the tie and, like, how they, like, it was slow-mo, but then it sped up and just had that great, you know, reveal. I mean, it had been a while that I actually had chills, goosebumps, and was, like, just in awe watching Superman on TV at the time. I I argue that it's the first good live-action shirt rip of the 21st century, and then the Smallville fans want to fight me, so... Okay, look, I'm a huge but, Smallville fan. Like, you can't see it. I have the red jacket from Smallville over here in my corner. I've seen you in pictures with that. I'm, I'm very yes. impressed with that, by the way. My <laughs> wife got that for me. My wife is amazing. Um, but the shirt rip, at, of course, the shirt rip was cool at the end of Smallville. But it also was a letdown. Because I feel like in some ways it wasn't earned. Like, you know, every Superman live action has had their own symbol. Their own crest. You can point to, like, that's George's. That's Chris's. That's Dean's. You know, that's Brandon's. He's even got two. You know, that's Henry's. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tyler's, even, like, it's his a slight, but Tom never had that. They just gave Tom the Superman Returns symbol. Yeah. And it, it shortchanged and cheated him in a lot of ways. <clears throat> so that, that, that shirt rip, yeah, as cool as it was, it's still, like, at the time it was, like, sweet. But then looking back on it, you know, it's like, mm. No, you just kind of were pulling a fast one. We were so excited to get it. Uh, yeah, I agree how with that. Uh, it was. I, rem- I remember when they brought the Superman Returns costume in. I was just like, "That's an odd decision to make." <laughs> well, like, there's a whole like you know, my my friend Zach does a podcast called uh, "Always Hold On to Smallville." I've been on where it's you know a retroactive going through every episode, and he talks a lot about having like he's had you know Craig Byrne on the episode and stuff where Smallville was setting up its own mythology, its own style of doing Superman until Superman Returns came out. And then you can literally see the change mm-hmm. of where they were just starting to force in the that imagery. So it's it's a very interesting thought when you're looking back and watching it straight than at the time where you're just kind of going along with it. Uh, let's see here. We talked a little bit about this, but we'll ask this. Trunks or no trunks? Oh, trunks, definitely. I'm a big Trunks fan. Um, most of that is completely irrational, but that's what, that's your opinion. I mean, uh, mm. but to me, I, I we talked about this on the panel that you mentioned. That's what, what that's what made me like. I have to ask. Like, I I have to get my recording of this. And the like when you look at the, like the new Fifty Two outfit, uh, it had the red belt in the middle, which kind of broke the costume up. And I and I grudgingly came to accept that. And they kind of kept with that until they brought the trunks back. And it's my one big problem with the Cavill suit is that that midsection is just bare. Uh, they've got, like, the little lines and stuff, and there's a design element to it. But to me, I just don't think it looks as good. And it, I, I just I, – I, I, I was – I was one of the fans that when they got rid of the trunks, I accepted it. I didn't fight it. I didn't complain about it for five years. Uh, I didn't start an internet movement and a hashtag <laughs> and threaten people's lives over it. Um, 
I appreciated the the people that were upset about it. Like I was with like I was with them in spirit, but I wasn't going to devote any energy to it. But when they brought it back, it was just like, oh thank God. <laughs> you know, I've come to just be like in comics, I'll take the trunks. It works better on paper. Live action, I prefer no trunks. I mean, you can pull it off. I mean, the Fleischer suit and Superman and Lois look great. Um, but I don't know if that would work long term. Even the Kingdom Come suit in Crisis look great. Mm-hmm. I think it all depends on the suit, the story, how you're using them. Uh, I agree with like the Man of Steel suit, um, and it's it's tweaked a little better in Justice League and BVS. But the design in it, they didn't do enough to kind of help break it up. Um, so I agree. That's why I like that, you know, with the Tyler suit, they do kind of use the red belt mm-hmm. um, in Superman Lois. I hated his suit when he was on Supergirl. I, I, I did not like the belt, the boots, or the cape. Um, or the clasps. Everybody hated the clasps. Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I actually I actually really liked his shield design, though. Oh, had, the shield design was perfect. I remember seeing that for the first time going, okay, if you get anything else on this wrong, at least you got that right. I wish they would just had taken that same shield design style, everything, and put that on his new suit. Because I just, I don't like the shield on his current suit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand the trunks. I get it. I just think it, it kind of, it depends on how you're using them. Because sometimes it can come off odd. Uh, but a really good designer can figure a way of presenting it so it looks a little bit better. All right. So the Kents. Alive or dead? Oh, alive. Um, I am not one of the people that will look at people who look at the fan base that prefers them to be dead uh, as, like, why would you want him to go through something like that? Uh, The the thing about when you look at, like, the pre-crisis Superman, especially before 1986 while the Kents were dead into adulthood, you still had an ongoing Superboy series where they were alive and part of his life. Mm-hmm. So if you remove Superboy from the equation and you kill off the Kents, I think you're taking something away that some era of that character needs. And one of the other things about the post-crisis Superman that got me was just like, I remember it was Superman number eight. I opened it up and that first page was bare-chested Clark Kent. He's wearing the glasses with a hairy chest, uh, very Henry Cavill, before Henry Cavill, (laughs) and ripping up a big giant tree in front of Lana Lang. And I'm like, what the F is going on? I mean, she's supposed to not know who he is. And then like two pages later, Jonathan and Martha trot up with the picnic. And I'm just like, what's going on? And I just love when they are part of his adult life because they are a place where he can go and just be himself and have that support structure. And I think Lois and Clark did it great. Uh, The animated series did it great. Yep. Uh, Up until they killed him off. I loved it on Smallville. And I I felt, I felt like that was one of those things like, okay, we have to do it. You know, they're just like, it wasn't, we have to do it. It's, It's how Superman is. So. And I I like that Martha was kept alive in the Snyder films uh, because, again, it gave him someone to come home and talk to. 
uh, I don't like always how they presented it, but I liked that it was there. So, yeah, but yeah I'm definitely a big uh, <laughs> Martha and Jonathan, because one thing Smallville did, I'll never forget this. It was like 2007. I'm on a message board and I'm like, Ma and Pa, and somebody actually mocked me. It's like, it's Jonathan and Martha, Ma and Pa. And I'm like, ah, oh, so this is what Smallville has done to the culture. Okay. Wow. I'm marking this in my book that now you can't call them Ma and Pa anymore, or a certain part of the fan base will mock you. <laughs> wow. He, I mean, Superman doesn't say, hey, Jonathan. Yeah. Well, you know? it, it, it's, 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 it, Lois and Clark uh, and Smallville both popularized dad. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and mom. Uh, so it was really the comics where it was mom, pa, and that, you know, that's where my heart is. So that's where, that's where my head's going to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I use it without thinking about it, honestly. When I think about it, yeah, it's always mom, pa. And then, yeah. Hmm. But I, I agree. I like the idea of them being alive. Um, I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, his dad having to die to be like the catalyst for him to go. Um, I think Superman's a character that benefits not having that. He just does the right thing because it's the right thing to do compared to some of them that have that tragic death that pushes them in a direction to do something. I also like the idea of like mom and pa kind of being the parents of everybody that comes around, you know, when mm-hmm. you talked about the animated series, like, I love the episode we watch it every Christmas of Comfort and Joy where Clark brings home Martian Manhunter and Martha's like, we have an extra sweater. We knitted, you know, some and John puts it on and they're very like welcoming like he can sleep on the couch or in uh, Kara's room actually. Uh, it's uh, sleep on the couches in uh, Superman Man of Tomorrow uh, movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I like the idea of them being like very welcoming to everyone and being this strong absence that so many of these characters have, Clark has, he doesn't have to be ruled by pain to, to, to be a hero. He just is. So, all right, last question for you and I'll let you go. We could probably talk forever. That's why I'm telling myself to let you go. Uh, if you could have one Kryptonian ability in your daily life, what would it be? Oh, at this point, vulnerability because my knees are getting shot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the one that Rebecca and I kind of like talked about. It's like, you know, first, my first thoughts was flight. But then I thought, how useful would that be without the invulnerability? You Most know? <laughs> of his powers don't work without invulnerability when you really think about it. Because yeah. a super strength is implied in vulnerability to a certain extent because your muscle structure is now stronger to support that. Uh, flight, yeah, because when you land, you really want you really want to shoot out your ankles and your knees and stuff every time, you know, depending on how hard you land. If, uh, especially if you're Henry Cavill, you're, like, breaking concrete every time. So, um, yeah, I agree. So, so yeah, I, 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 as I get older and vulnerability, it looks better and better. You know, you say that it's interesting because, like, a lot of the landings they did on Superman Lois, he landed really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what I found interesting was on the deleted scenes of the first release of Justice League, when it showed the scene of Superman slash Clark meeting Alfred, I love the way he he landed so softly. 
it's one of the, the, the few times where he really does that. Um, because usually in, uh, in, in all of the movies, when he's taking off and landing, there's like an impetus for him to do that. Uh, so yeah, seeing him kind of gliding in was, was interesting. Uh, because I'm like, ah, that didn't really work it. And uh, a couple, a couple of weeks ago, I stumbled across this YouTube uh, video where somebody had taken like all of the takeoffs and landings from the Superboy series. Like they, they build it as every time he turns into Superman uh, but, or Superboy. But usually when he was turning into Superboy, he would like take off right after that. And it was really amazing to be reminded a time where, and the wire work on the Superboy series in, uh, in particular was fantastic because it was the same crew from the Salkin movies, yep. but they had gotten it so right that it was just effortless. And you watch how, like, sometimes he just comes down for a landing, and it's so acrobatic and gentle. I was just like, yeah, now it's just like, even on Superman and Lois, which I love, it's just like, he's just got to take off. And I and I get it. They're going to a CG thing, because then they don't have to do wire work, um, which is expensive. And somewhat of a danger, as I found out, <laughs> moderating the Smallville panels is that sometimes when you're in that harness, if you're not careful, you'll pass out because it cuts off all the blood at your at your waist. So, mm. but uh, no, yeah, invulnerability, hands down. <laughs> that that's that is interesting. Just talking about like you know the the takeoffs and it's one of those like. For example, one of my favorite scenes in Superman Returns is the scene where he lands really hard and cracks the ground when he lands on the rock to talk to Lex because it was done showing how strong and powerful he is and how angry he was. Yeah, it was a statement of intent. That was, And, uh... and I loved it because all the other times you watch him, like we get scenes of him gliding down or going up slowly and stuff. So that one was like... So I think it's one of those things that having the impact that it does by him landing hard really can show his mood, just that extra little oomph. But. I think we can really, quote unquote, blame Smallville for the more visceral takeoffs because in season four. Oh, you mean when he pushes Martha back and he does the whole yeah, like, and the, like looking like Neo thing? like Yeah, and the ground is like, uh, is like, like the air is warping around him. Yep. Um, I was just like, oh, okay, so this is how we're going to show it now. Um, and and Man of Steel took that and just ran with it. So, <laughs> so to, to kind of wrap up here, I've enjoyed our conversation. I, like yeah, it's I said, been a lot of fun. I know we could go down more rabbit holes and tangents. Um, just for our listeners, kind of plug, like, I know you do a couple different podcasts and stuff, mm-hmm. so... I'll let you kind of introduce, I know you, um, I listen to all of them, but I'll let you kind of introduce which ones and direct people where to find you to hear more of you discuss Superman. Uh, most of them are at fortressofbailytube.com, which is the home of the Fortress of Bailytube podcasting network, which is all of my shows under one umbrella. Uh, there, if you like Superman, there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which is still ongoing, uh, even though our release schedule is very erratic. Jeffrey Taylor and I are going through the entire post-crisis version of Superman. We're about to get to the wedding. Uh, and we've been about to get to the wedding for about six months now. Um, but life happens. Uh, so there's like 256 episodes of that show. 
there's it all comes back to super and which you mentioned which i do need to do more of it's just time is the problem uh but that was more of me when jeff and i couldn't get together was me scratching the superman podcasting itch yeah uh and 2019 (laughs) has served as kind of therapy uh, as i was dealing with a lot of things um with me and superman fandom uh you you pointed out the the doomsday clock episodes that i did uh which were a lot of fun to put together highly recommend anyone check it out because it highlights michael's point of the importance of superman but it really also helps you understand everything that happened in doomsday clock considering if you were reading it at the time it was so spaced out over two years Mm -hmm. that if you didn't feel like going back and rereading it you're kind of like okay just kind of moving along with it uh and there's episodes of another show that I do called Fuse and Longbox that were Superman related. Uh, I've really, in my podcasting career, I've talked about Superman more than any other character. Uh, and every Monday night at 10.30 Eastern time, uh, Steve Eunice of the Superman homepage and I do what is now called Superman Homepage Live, uh, which is a... which. You can go to the Superman homepage. There's a link for it, or you can you can uh, subscribe to the uh, Superman homepage channel on YouTube. And we just talk about the latest uh, news of what's going on in Superman. What 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 like we latest episode of Supergirl. You know, if any big news is broken, we sometimes talk about the comics. Though I'm not as much part of that recently because I really haven't been reading the Superman books in the last couple of years. Uh, but, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where on the internet you can see me yakking about Superman. All right. And I will say I've, uh, enjoyed you guys' conversations. I've watched when I could, I always kind of forget the timing just because it's later and I'm always involved in something going on. Um, cause I can try to get the kids in bed and then it's me and my wife hanging out. So when it's later than the night, I'm like, oh, this is her time. So. Superman out. Good man. Good man. <laughs> the way it should be. <laughs> but I, I appreciate you. Um, we've, you know, we've tried to do this for not too long, so it was nice. Um, I encourage everyone to check out the Fortress of Bailey Tude and just continue to listen to what Michael has to say. I appreciate you having me on. This was a lot of fun. Oh, anytime you want to come back, maybe we'll get you back for, I don't know, some special event that comes up. It's always cool to, I'd love to do, um, in the future, what I want to do is I want to do like a, a Zoom roundtable with like diff, the different podcasters of the different fandom and do a kind of our own panel, much like your Dragon Con panel, um, with you know a set of rules and questions and everything. What we're going to accomplish, I think that'd be a really fun podcast to do. Anytime, man. Just let me know, and I'll try to make the time for it. The Krypton Report is a Tears production. We thank you for listening and enjoying, and please support us on our Patreon account, our T Public store, and check out our social media. Always remember to look up in the sky. Hey, can I get a dollar? Sure. That's what friends say, right? And we all know that we all have a dollar. We spend a dollar on crazy stuff. We have a loose change around the house probably for a dollar. So why not help a friend out? The Krypton Report, of course, has a Patreon, like every podcast does. But unlike other podcasts, where we're asking for a lot of money. We're just saying, hey, shoot us a dollar. One dollar a month. Help us keep the podcast going and help us to bring entertainment to you. And you can hear the fun voices of me and James. 
So go to patreon.com slash Krypton Report and give it a shot. Thanks. If you enjoy Superman podcasting, here's some others to check out. Digging for Kryptonite, The Last Sons of Krypton, The Aspiring Kryptonian. That all comes back to Superman. Superman Forever. All-Star Superman Podcast. Superman, the animated podcast. Always Hold On to Smallville. And Superboy Legacy Podcast. Check them out. Always a good time. Always something new. Enjoy. Enjoy.